0: Pauline, give me some of your tots. I even said, blood of a hen. Little bit of blood. I ate his liver with some father beans. Nice pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. Coming to you live from the new Tornado Alley. Sort of. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I guess, I guess my wind-related woes are not as severe as the actual wind-related woes of the real Tornado Alley, because I do believe that they had some actual tornadoes with some actual um, havoc being wreaked. But um, I do, I do have the, the winds of woe are upon me. Last week, we had some windstorms that knocked out the power and the internet, and I had to delay putting the podcast out for a couple of days. And to this week, oh my God, we had windstorms again, and it basically just smited my greenhouse. So uh, I spent a little bit of time today <laughs> trying to salvage the aluminum structure, the skeleton of the screen of the greenhouse, so that it can be uh, reassembled. And we do have the technology; we can rebuild it. I just don't know if I have the carpentry skills, but we'll find out because. I refuse to be upstaged by wind. <laughs> uh, let's see. Hey, this week um, I got a fun. Not. I mean, a fun, All recipes are fun, right? I mean, come on. I, I cook food and I talk about it. It's pretty cool. It's fun. Um, but there, there's a there's a purpose in this one. Spoiler alert. I'm doing a uh, short ribs in a mustard horseradish sauce. And the reason that I think that that is fun is because it is a variation on a tried and true um, preparation meal, whatever, something that is just always in your back pocket or my back pocket, you know, of the traditional short ribs, a braised meat traditionally, or at least very, um, uh, what would you say, Uh, routinely, frequently prepared in a sweet and savory tomato-based sauce, similar to a barbecue sauce, but really turning up the sweet knobs to the extent that there are many short rib recipes that call for some some quantity of jelly as, <laughs> as the sweet component. And if not that, then you can go a little richer with the red wine or whatever. But the point is, the point of this episode is to do a variation on a recipe that, um, you know, you think you have down pat. It's like, hey, I know how to make short ribs. It's like this. Well, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's change that flavor profile because sometimes, sometimes you want to make something new or you want to have something new and you think, okay, I know all the recipes that I know. I know all the dishes that I make. You know, I make short ribs. I make fried chicken. I make uh, tuna noodle casserole. I make shepherd's pie. I make this, that, and the other thing, right? These are things I make. I want to make something new. But man, if you have to actually go out and search for a new recipe, if you, if you're coming from a position where you have a lot of knowledge and it's very comfortable to you, it's almost like, you know, like think of an animal that isn't an elephant. And then your brain goes into a feedback loop and you're like, I literally can't think of anything except for elephants right now. What's wrong with me? So the idea of doing a variation on, uh, not traditional, but a familiar recipe is exciting to me because if you just change up the flavor profile you know this is very savory and mustardy and horseradishy like it's it is it's like in uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy whenever he says it's almost entirely unlike tea or something like that i don't remember remember what the line is that book the, the series of books is just chock full of wonderful turns of phrase and fantastic language but it's like it's almost entirely unlike a cup of tea and even though this is short ribs and it is familiar be recognizable as such if you're used to the sweet savory tomatoey barbecue type of short rib this is almost entirely unlike that and it's fantastic also want to mix it up too cuz tr- normally if we do short ribs if we do short ribs in the in the winter we're going to generally tend to be laying these on top of a big bed of mashed potatoes and if we're doing them in the fall you're looking at more of like a risotto right so i wanted to mix it up a little bit it's like ah well i'm not gonna do rice i mean i've done so many rice based dishes recently the duck bulgogi and i don't know Something else probably. <laughs> but I was thinking, okay, we gotta come up with a different um a different foundation for this. So I was like, ah, polenta, polenta. And you know, polenta is just as it has its adherence, you know, it has its uh devotees, similar to your risotto snobs and your mashed potato snobs and everything else. Every every category of food has its snob. Polenta is fantastic, it's rustic. You know, it is of the earth. It is a working man's risotto. You know, in fact, in fact, I believe uh, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this because I'm just relaying this. I don't I don't have enough of the cultural touchstones to know if what I'm saying is horribly offensive or not. But I do believe that northern Italians at one point, possibly in the middle of like the 19th century, were referred to derogatorily as uh the polentito you know the little corn eaters and that was like you know the the dirt farmers up north they're the polentito you know and uh because they ate so much polenta that was such a staple of their diet once you know once maize or corn came to the new or came back to the old world from the new world uh, a lot of cultures really just snapped it up and tell you what polenta binga banga it's fantastic so we're going to make uh, polenta as our base for this and the short ribs um, with very, really technically no sweet component in this at all. We are going to use a bunch of onions that, you know, it, depending on how your palate is tuned to flavor, will certainly track as sweet but once all the other components are put in here you're not gonna you're not really gonna get the sweetness of the onions in fact if you think about the way we're gonna build this up and construct it's very similar with the omission of like red wine and with the omission of um, much in the way of dried herbs like no thyme no oregano nothing like that without those flavor cues You would uh, not be remiss at thinking that these are short ribs braised in French onion soup, you know? And it's very good. It's very good, I gotta say. All right, so here's what we did. Oh, Oh, here's another thing. Short ribs, sometimes, sometimes, depending on where you're shopping, are not the most reliable cut of meat that you could find. As is the case with mine. Technically, um... You know, you might look at the picture and be like, that's, that's, uh, you're stretching the definition of a short rib. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? My, uh, local store down in Podunk, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania didn't have any proper short ribs in stock. So I had to go with what were essentially ch- <laughs> chuck rib plate. I don't even know what this is called. Basically it was, uh, about three inch rib sections from the chuck, from like the, uh, the, the rib cage where it joins at the breast of the animal, you know, below the brisket. Uh if you're if the animal is standing up and in in the spine is to the north and the navel is to the south, this would be the south end of the western edge. Of a, of a of a westward facing cow i don't know what i'm talking about these are the ribs under the chuck roast um, if they were cut shorter they could be called short ribs if they're cut closer to the plate or the navel they could be called short ribs even sometimes you get boneless short ribs those are fantastic too and i will not lie to you when i say uh whenever i scavenge these two packages from the store i thought they were boneless short ribs And then I opened them up and flipped them over and was like, oh oh my God in heaven, they have bones. And that was actually great because the bones do contribute, um, a lot of flavor through the marrow and just, you know, the myelard reaction when you're browning them and all that kind of stuff. So they were fantastic. kind of similar to beef back, back ribs, um, though they weren't from the back, they were from the plate or the, you know, the, the plate, the navel, the lower part of the rib cage or whatever. anyway. Anyway. If you can't find proper short ribs, get your boneless short ribs. Get your beef back ribs. You could even, you know, you could even hack up a a chuck roast if you need to. Whatever. The point is, we want a tough, gnarly cut. Oh, yeah, asabuka would work with this. You know, cross-cut shank meat, fantastic. But we're gonna braise this. We're gonna cook it for a long time. We're gonna extract all kinds of flavor, and we're gonna have flavor going way deep inside of there. And then we're just gonna. Turn the flavor knob up to 11 with some Dijon mustard and uh, and horseradish right at the end. And I think you will love this. So let's get to cooking. All right. Um, obviously, check the show notes for the recipe. Real simple uh, ingredients. There aren't going to be any special ingredients. There's not going to be any special equipment. But you know what? I think I'm going to put a link to this cookbook that inspired me to make this recipe, which is Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything, 2,000 Simple Recipes for Great Food. Now, I did alter this recipe a bit, um, but it 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 sort of provided the impetus, the inspiration, uh, the spark. I was like, yes, short ribs that aren't sweet and tomatoey and barbecue-y. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. All right, so what we're going to do, starting off i'm using the cast iron the the enameled cast iron dutch oven we're not going to do this in the oven this time i'm going to do it on the stovetop why uh, well, you know, I made a frozen pizza for my son and his girlfriend, and so I did not want to be occupying the oven. but also, I just wanted to do it on the stovetop because it uh, it changes it changes the 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 way that the heat is delivered to the interior to the stuff inside. When you put it in the oven, it's a slow ingress of heat, right? because it's sitting in in, in hot air essentially. Air is not a great conductor of heat. Especially not trying to dump that heat into, you know, a thick, heavy cast iron. It takes a while for that to heat up. Now, beneficially, it does heat up every surface at once. But if you do if you're doing it on the stovetop, it's more of a direct heat from the bottom. You can really, especially with the uh, with the induction stove. I mean you can do it with any type of heat or whatever, but induction is very quick to to ramp the heat up and scale the heat back. So you can bring it, you know, from a from a, a simmer to a lively boil and then back down to a simmer. And you can you can toggle that off and on as many times as you want. And it's very fine-tuned. Um, but yeah, we're doing this on the stovetop. You're wanna get uh, you, uh, you are going to want to give yourself at least four hours of cook time. Six would be ideal, but four will work, okay? So here's what we're going to start off by doing. We're going to take our short ribs. We're going to take our enameled cast iron pot or stainless steel pot or whatever. A heavy pot that can hold a bunch of stuff. And we're going to put a little bit of olive oil on the bottom. That We're going to get that nice and hot on high heat. And we want to sear and brown all of our meat components are short ribs essentially. And when I say, I'm saying meat components because there's bone involved too. We want to get some browning on the edge of the bones if there are bones. Um, and we want to get them nicely browned, nicely crusted up. Now, for a lot of recipes, particularly chicken, when we need to brown it and then you know set it aside and then start a sauce and then add the chicken back, yada yada, yada, yada. A lot of times the browning, I'll say like, hey, four, four minutes on each side. Just get a little bit of color on there and then get it off the heat. Don't waste a lot of time. You don't have to cook this all the way through. With these short ribs, take your time, okay? Um, when you're getting meat from the front of the cow, you know, from the chuck, from the ribs, from the plate, from the navel to an extent, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of fat. There's a lot of connective tissue. These are the the toughest cuts of meat on the beast. And uh, look, you're not going to overcook it. And I mean, pay attention. Don't just crank it on extra super high and go take a bath or something. Spend about 20 minutes browning um, browning your short ribs. Uh, you can kind of toggle back and forth between high and medium high. And you're going to flip these often. You're going to set them up on their edge so that you get every, every uh, surface of the short ribs you want to brown and and get a little bit of a crust on and uh you know get them in there in this in the olive oil uh let them go for a few minutes and then flip them and then at that point salt and pepper and and salt them fairly heavily you know we're going to be building up a lot of flavor over the course of this cooking time so getting a good base of salt now just means that that salt is going to permeate deeper into the into the meat itself it's going to you know obviously uh season the the broth and the and the sauce that is built up around it um and you just, it'll just be less salt that you have to add later on it'll work fine you know so salt and pepper fairly heavily do a leisurely cook of this um you know 20 minutes should be sufficient when everything's nicely browned and if you have to do it in shifts like if you don't have enough room in the bottom of your pan to put all of your short ribs in there depending on how many you have uh then even more time don't worry about it just just do it leisurely this is comfort food it deserves some time and attention but then it's also going to give you a long you know respite (laughs) respite period uh in the middle where it's like hey you go do you for a little bit. I'm just gonna I'm gonna sit here and and relax. All right. So once those are browned, if you have a platter or a plate or something that you can remove them from the from the Dutch oven or the pot or whatever, remove them and kill the heat. Okay. We're gonna take a little bit of time. I guess I, I should have run through <laughs> the ingredients I just got right into cooking. I was really excited because it was delicious. So you're gonna use short ribs. Uh, we're gonna have three whole yellow onions okay salt and pepper to taste roughly two to three cups of beef stock three to four heads of garlic i used four heads of garlic because my garlic heads are really small we've talked about this in past episodes um but yeah we're gonna want a whole bunch of uh garlic whole garlic bleh, whole garlic cloves towards the end we're gonna use some red potatoes uh some dijon mustard and listen i'm i'm a basic white guy i went with the uh gray poupon because it's it is uh it's a very predictable flavor you know if you sometimes you get like a a real fancy looking mustard and it's like wow this one's really extra super spicy this one's grittier than i expected gray poupon's going to be super smooth every time it's going to have that nice dijon mustard flavor but it's not going to be overpowering okay it's going to be creamy and and refined and fantastic and it's going to incorporate into the the sauce, the liqueur of um, of the of the short ribs. Uh, it's really it basically just hits on all points. So you can't go wrong with it. A little jar, gray poupon. It's fancy. You'll love it. Some pure grated horseradish. Um, you can just get what is it? Is it B and O, B and L, B and B&H, Speed Speedwagon? I'm not sure what the brand is, but it's a little blue jar, blue well clear jar with a blue label. Uh, get some of that, a nice big bunch of parsley. Yeah, and that's about it. It's super simple. And we'll talk about the polenta as a separate thing, okay? So uh, you've removed your, your short ribs from the pan. Uh, you've killed the the heat. What you want to do is slice your onions. Peel and slice your onions. Slice them relatively fine, like thinly, um, but don't dice them up into, like, little cubes. Like, you want to have big onion pieces, big onion rings or half rings or whatever. And the reason for that is that they're going to cook for a long time and they are going to almost completely disappear as it is in these fairly large, uh, wispy uh, slices. If you cut them down too small, they're going to disappear completely. So uh, we want to have a little bit of texture in the sauce. So by slicing the onions, uh, you will get that. Slice your onions up, add them to the pan. It's going to have some residual heat in there. I assume, I mean, I assume you can, you can slice up three onions in like less than 10 minutes, right? And then you get them into the, into the Dutch oven, turn the heat up to medium to restore like a full charge of heat to the, the bottom of that pan with a wooden spoon, toss them around a little bit. There'll be some, some oil in the bottom of the pan from the olive oil that you seared the short ribs in, as well as some beef fat that has rendered out. So get those onions looking nice and shiny and glistening and then maybe crank that heat up to like medium high we are not going to like fully caramelize the onions but we want to get them on their way to getting there so maybe 20 minutes of cooking the onions and this is a fairly active part of cooking of this recipe okay you don't necessarily have to be there stirring like you know i don't want to say 24 7 because you're not doing it for 24 hours you're doing it for 20 minutes Um, but you do need to move them around every couple of minutes because you don't want you don't want them to brown on the bottom and be white on the top you want them to sweat turn translucent and then start turning a little golden brown and that will be good that'll be a good flavor profile it will have extracted some liquid from it and, and it'll be a real nice texture at that point you can return your short ribs to the dutch oven right on top of the onions there um nestle them down in there get them all packed in real nice and then add your beef stock to the pot okay now the beef stock with the onions uh you know i don't know how big your pot is it's probably going to come up about halfway halfway up the the short ribs that are in there if if they're not add a little bit more beef stock if it's good, then you're good to go. Whatever. Bring that up to a simmer and bring it up to a real simmer. Like where you see, you see some dancing going on around, around in there. When you see the, the, the bubbles and the, it's got a little, po- 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 be onto to it. Okay. At that point, you can back it off like one setting on your knob, you know, like if you're going to, if it takes you up to medium high to get a good lively simmer going, and it's like starting to build to a crescendo and a boil, then you back it down to medium, put the lid on and let it go there for maybe, you know what? Let's make it simple. Let it go for three hours. It's nothing bad's going to happen. Let it go for three hours. Okay. Go do something else. Come back. Three hours have passed. Now it's time to do a couple of things. One, add the rest of the ingredients to your short ribs and two start your polenta. Gentlemen drivers, start your polenta. Okay, so um first thing, let's let's get these short ribs all worked up here so that we don't have to do very much until the very very end. Uh your potatoes, I would like you to quarter them, please. Quarter your potatoes. Why? Couple of reasons. Number 1, There's a lot of flavor going on in this pot. And we want that to absorb as much as humidly possible into the potatoes and just put the potatoes in their hole. They will soften up. They will be a wonderful mouthfeel and all that kind of stuff. But they're gonna taste like potatoes with some really flavorful stuff on the outside of them. If you slice them up, you expose the starchy insides to the sauce, you will get deeper flavor penetration. Secondly, potatoes have starch and the more surface area you expose to this broth, the more that starch is going to be extracted out into the liqueur. And it will uh, probably not noticeably, but you know technically, will thicken it up a little bit. It will impart a little bit of starchiness to the broth and it will change the mouthfeel and make it that much better. And you want that. you want that to be better. So quarter your potatoes, toss them in there you don't have to like bury them or stir them around or just pop them in there this is going to be such a a humid and roiling environment of hot liquid and stuff like that the potatoes will be fine they'll cook in the steam they'll cook in the liquid they'll cook in the onions it's it'll all work next we want to get our garlic cloves peeled and that's it we're putting them in whole and peeled if you check out the imager album there is a, a photo of my cutting board with all the potatoes quartered and all of the garlic cloves you know out of their paper and 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 just laying there uh yeah throw those in there they are going to be so good at the end they're going to be the, these little nuggets of sweetness because uh they'll, they'll remain whole but they'll be softened up and wonderful and every once in a while you'll be able to scoop one up and be like mm. Yes, that's right. I did plant little treasures for me to discover later. It's my favorite part of cooking. All right. So you get that stuff in there. uh, Cover it again. uh, Turn it down a little lower this time. If you are simmering it on medium, knock it down to medium low or maybe even full on low and just let that go for another hour and a half to two hours. That'll get you to, you know, between five. uh four and a half and five hours which is splitting the difference between four hours and six which is what i recommended for the cook time whatever now we're going to start polenta hmm let's see what are we going to do with this we're going to simmer it in some water and beef stock at the end we're going to add some butter or in my case, ghee, and we're going to let it set up to like a semi-firm polenta. So when you make polenta, sometimes you make it uh, firm where it's allowed to cool, uh, sometimes even refrigerated and then sliced into bars. And then, you know, it can be fried, it can be grilled or have hot stuff served over top of it or whatever. But then you can also make soft polenta, which a lot of times will be made and then cooled or chilled and then very gently reheated to soften it up. What we're going to do is we're going to cook the polenta, get it to the point where it's done, quote unquote. And then we're going to plate it and allow it to cool significantly um, approaching room temperature before we put all of our other hot ingredients on top. Okay, it's sort of a intermediary uh, polenta form between your 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 stiff polenta and your soft polenta, and it is done all in one go. Okay, so what we're gonna do is one cup of. Now here's the thing: you want to get like a coarsely ground cornmeal. If you can find something that is labeled polenta, quote unquote polenta, cool. If not, uh, I'll see. You know what? Here we go. I'll put a link to like an Amazon thing. I mean, I just bought this at Giant Eagle, but um whatever brand or whatever it is, because it had a really good texture. It was real, it was a very coarsely ground cornmeal essentially. We're gonna use a cup of that. We're gonna use four cups of water. Four cups is for more of a, a stiffer polenta. Five cups is for a softer, but we are going to um fortify it with some beef stock closer to the end when we need to Get the last little rush of hydration because it takes about an hour to an hour and 15, an hour, 20 minutes to really get this to the, um, the texture that you're looking for. Okay. So we're going to get all that four cups of water, one cup of planta simmering on the stovetop. And because this is going to get really thick, like that corn is going to absorb a lot of liquid, it's going to get real thick. And the slightest simmer is gonna send little drops of polenta shooting all over your stovetop and your countertop or whatever. So what we wanna do is we'll get it to a simmer and then we just wanna like keep it right at the hot point. We wanted to keep it hot, but not boiling. And we're gonna come back and we're gonna stir this vigorously many times over the course of an hour. But we are gonna cook that for an hour as you get close to it being done and yeah you know, listen you, you scoop a little bit out of there you put it in your mouth if it's still take a little chew if it's still a little gritty you're like yeah not yet not yet let it keep going and we're going to add between a half to three quarters of a cup of beef stock uh towards the end once everything has been absorbed and it's getting a real a real loose cornbread batter sort of uh, consistency to it. We'll add that beef stock and we'll stir it. It it will take a little while to get it incorporated at that point. Um, But you just keep folding it over, stirring it around, whipping it up a little bit. You could use a whisk if you wanted to, but I do find that it's a lot easier to clean a spoon than a whisk. And a spoon works just as well in this uh, context. Last, once you do have have that polenta to where it's a nice, silky smooth, ooh, fresh corn <laughs> texture, Everything, sometimes things sound weird, right? Um, once you get it to a nice texture, uh, one to two tablespoons of butter um, can be mixed in there. I used uh, about one and a half tablespoons of ghee which has all the you know milk solid dairy solids uh, removed during the the preparation of the ghee, the clarified butter. but yeah stir that in and uh, salt and pepper this. I, I should have mentioned whenever you start simmering at the beginning at the beginning, uh, a good teaspoon of salt will probably be sufficient and then at the end if you want to if you want to add a little pepper you can I did not. Um, I wanted sort of a very neutral polenta bed for uh holding all the other flavors okay once your polenta is done you can keep it warm um until you're ready until your 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 short ribs are definitively ready um but what you want to do is like i i I spoon this using a serving spoon into these little shallow bowls and then i set them aside while i did the final preparation on the short ribs that way it's going to cool i mean it's still going to be hot when I say hot, you know, the ending temperature might be between 80 and 90 degrees, but that will be sufficient for it to, um, solidify a little bit, stiffen up a bit, you know, have a nice, uh, springiness to it to where it's not soupy. It's real nice. Uh, and then we do our final preparation on our short ribs, which is to say, uh, heat off, remove the lid with a pair of tongs, ideally, or a plastic or wooden spoon or whatever, remove all the short ribs, uh, uh, portions to a platter to set aside. And then I used a, pa- a pair of tongs to remove as many. And I think I got them all, all of the quartered, uh, potatoes. Now this was, you probably don't have to do this, but there is going to be some stirring involved very shortly. And your potatoes are going to be very soft at this point. And I wanted them to retain a lot of their structural integrity. So I wanted to move them out of the sauce before I started stirring in the mustard and the horseradish and just you know, really trying to get the the, the beef fat emulsified with the liquid and all this stuff. It would completely obliterate the potatoes. Uh, so I removed them and I put them on the platter with the short ribs. And it took, uh, I mean, a long time because I was being gentle doing them one at a time. <laughs> so whenever you make this, keep that in mind when you start cutting up those potatoes. Be like, mm, how many potatoes does somebody really need? We already got polenta, right? We already have a starch. Maybe we don't need that many. <laughs> so anyway, remove those potatoes, and then we're going to add in like three tablespoons, at least three, maybe three heaping tablespoons of Grey Poupon. And we're going to stir this into the sauce. And you'll probably notice that, number one, the onions, boy, where did they all go? They have almost completely disappeared. And the garlic cloves, they're hanging in there, these little white, little hummingbird eggs scattered throughout the sauce. Um, But they are very, very uh, fragile. They're very soft. So be careful with those. Um, But stir in your Dijon mustard. And then your um, your horseradish, your, your pure horseradish, grated horseradish. We're looking at uh, if we did uh, three to four tablespoons of mustard, we're going to do uh, between one and two tablespoons of horseradish. The the sweetness of the onions, the the volume of of the beef broth and the beef fat that is kind of all intermingled with the sauce minimize the spicy effect of the horseradish I was you know I knew how much I wanted to add based on how I planned this out but initially I started in half of my horseradish which was about a tablespoon and I was like I don't want to blow everybody's doors off here you know you don't want people you know eating this and you know sweating and their eyes watering so I tasted this, I was like, wow, that is really neutral. So two good, two tablespoons of horseradish. It is not going to be spicy. It's going to be delicious. Okay. And you will notice the mustard and the horseradish, uh, really bring together all this liquid that's been simmering there. It's like, it, it, it gives it texture and body and, and, and opacity and it's really, really nice looking. Okay. So once you get that mixed in and you have a nice consistent sauce, at this point we need to plate and we're going to add our short rib, set it very gingerly atop the polenta and then maybe with your hands, by hand, uh, dot in some quartered potatoes on either side of the the short rib and then very gently, uh, maybe with a ladle. Preferably a plastic ladle because we're dealing with enameled cast iron. Scoop up a nice, nice big cupful of that delicious looking sauce and very gently uh, ladle that over the short ribs so that it drips down and pulls up on top of the polenta. And then we want to chop up a generous portion of fresh flat leaf parsley. And this is actually a very important component to the dish. And I know a lot of people. Like, parsley gets a bad rap. Some people are like parsley; it doesn't taste like anything. And then other people are like parsley; it tastes like metal. <laughs> but fresh flat leaf parsley has such a clean and brisk flavor. I always love it with like um, with Lebanese food, you know, like uh, your tabbouleh salad and and with with hummus and all this because it just feels so clean. It. It refreshes the body, and because of that clean, bright, crisp flavor, that will cut through the very rich, almost decadent, savory nature of the short ribs and the sauce, without without adding a citrus component. That's see, it's always tempting. It's like oh, we have something very rich and heavy, and uh, flavorful, but savory the the best way to cut through that and to contrast that flavor a lot of times is with citric acid like a, a squeeze of lemon or lime or a dash of of mm-hmm. vinegar or something like that and i didn't i didn't want to do that with this one so the clean bright flavor of the parsley and you put a lot of it on there i mean look at my pictures that's a that's a rustic presentation i fancied it up a little bit by using small bowls you know, you could use big giant bowls and just do the same thing, but keep the portion small down in the middle of it. Uh, but yeah, use a lot of parsley because it'll be it'll be nice. Okay, and uh, I think that's uh, that's about all she wrote on that. It was uh, great. Ideally, um, you want to keep your your short rib meat together, but it should be fork tender. Um, you know, and when it is adhered to the bone, there is some fascia, some connective tissue between the meat layers, the the, the bottom meat layer in the bone itself. And ideally, um, you know, if you're getting up there closer to six hours of cook time, that will be like one of the last connective tissue layers to sort of, um, uh, dissolve or denature or whatever, and give up the ghost of collagen to the, to the stock. Um, so, you know, if you, you extract these from the sauce, be careful. If you're using tongs, kind of grab it. Uh, around the waist (laughs) don't just grab the bone and pick it up because if you really did a good job man that bone's gonna slip right out of there and you're gonna be like ah now i got a bunch of clean bones and all my meat is still in the pot and we don't want that we want to grab it by the meaty midsection and lift it very gently from there whenever we're doing our transfers okay but that be that short ribs braised in a mustard and uh, horseradish sauce i hope you enjoy this one it was very good after a day of being on a ladder in the wind um trying to put together uh, or put back together a greenhouse all right all right we'll talk to you guys next week thanks